probably be okay from that distance. That's what she said. What did you say? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all. Hi, everybody. Welcome to... (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to a new Two Drunk Fans. I am currently recording in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, with none other than Sarah Gerke. Hi. Um, previously, Gab recorded a podcast with the Gurky. It means very popular, so I don't know how to feel about that, because I wasn't included. Understandable. Uh-huh. Gurky, what are you drinking? I'm drinking, well, I was drinking Scheinerbach, um, so I had one beer, and then <laughs> I'm just starting on my second, uh, which is an Oktoberfest, so not so much drunk, but just enjoying a nice beverage. Gurky had a beer. Uh, I had three and knocked one over when we started recording this some, podcast some of one over there's plenty of this sam adams oktoberfest left yes. for me to drink over the course of this podcast you want to get us started i mean the thing happening right now for a lot of people is Concacaf qualifiers i mean where do you want to start we could talk about trinidad and tobago we could talk about haiti we could talk about mexico the u.s i mean we could start with trinidad and tobago because that has been it's blown up a little bit i mean yeah it was an unbelievable story and the fact that uh their coach randy waldrum um is such an avid uh social media user who's i think so well connected i think it really shows the power of twitter and the way that it spread through not only the soccer community but i would say the i guess journalism community because you know you started with Um, soccer specific people kind of retweeting him and like putting the message out there and then you saw it get picked up by Deadspin you saw it get picked up by the AP you saw it get picked up by USA Today and it really I think uh, started in a very grassroots way and so to see it elevated to like the national level and it being mentioned on the Fox broadcast is I think really encouraging and hopefully it brings a lot of attention to the program um especially since they seem like they're in a great position to you know maybe qualify or at least play in the playoff um we'll definitely include a link on the podcast for people to continue donating because the thing is they've they've got a lot of money um you might follow keeper notes on twitter she does color commentary for the houston dash she has a great podcast where she talks about the dynamo um They've gathered a lot of money, but the thing is, what happens when this tournament is over? Because this team is going to continue to exist, and they need continued funding. So I really don't think that just because they've gathered like a certain, they've hit like a milestone, like $10,000, I think they have over 10000 now in donations. Yeah, I think it's about sixteen or seventeen right now. Yeah, but the thing is, when you think about it, take you yourself as an individual making sixteen grand a year. That's not bad, but you can't... You can't really do anything. I mean, just multiply that by the 20 or 24 people uh, that are kind of in and around that program as players. Yeah, not to mention staff as well. Yeah, well, I mean, that's something that is really interesting is that while it's disappointing that the women's team has received this level of funding, um, to an extent this is systematic about their federation because of Jack Warner and the embezzlement and money issues that he's left the federation in. They're in tremendous debt, so it's not like any other part of the federation is well-funded and it's just the women that are underfunded, which is the case um, in some other federations where it's just they focus everything on the women and or on the men and then the women are underfunded. I think Brazil is a good example of that. 
But if you look at Trinidad and Tobago, he left them, some reports say $25 million in debt. Others are lower around six. Um, but the idea of a federation that small being in that kind of debt is is honestly devastating. So while I've, I think it's understandable to be somewhat skeptical or um, critical of the federation for sending Trinidad with the amount of resources they did, at the same time, when they're facing that sort of debt and a lot of you know employees maybe aren't getting paid, um, it, it speaks to a lot more about the Federation than just how they're treating the women's team. Yeah, we should remember Randy Waldrum is volunteering as coach. He's not getting paid for his time. He is, as is uh, Coach Borkowski for Haiti. Um, I did an interview with Randy for a piece that I wrote before the tournament where you know, we talked for about 45 minutes and he kind of gave me the rundown of the team and the resource issues that they're facing. And I asked him kind of why he wanted to coach and he talked about the idea of challenging himself at the international level. But at the end, he kind of just said, you know, to be perfectly honest, given what I have to deal with as the coach of this team, if the women weren't as committed and dedicated and selfless as they are because of their love of the game and their love of their representing their country, I wouldn't be doing this. It wouldn't be worth it to me. But I will not give up on these women because they, they don't give up on themselves. Yeah, it kind of puts the U.S. women into perspective. It's, it's definitely legitimate to be like the U.S. men and the U.S. women are definitely treated differently. Mm-hmm. They're definitely treated differently. But... At the same time, you also compare the U.S. women to any other team in CONCACAF besides Canada, even including Canada, and you're like, it could be so much worse. Yeah, absolutely. And I think at at least Jill Ellis has given some interviews because this has become a pervasive topic during the tournament, just talking about how blessed she feels the team is and how they really recognize and are trying to take advantage of the – um, resources that they have and so you know it, it is easy to compare them but at the same time I would say it, it appears that both the staff and players are really cognizant of that. Moving on to the actual qualifiers the United States uh, got held 1-0 by Trinidad and Tobago which was I pretty big feather in the cap for Randy Waldrum and the team and on the other side kind of a dent in the United States because it, it it was a combination, I think, of Trinidad and Tobago performing a lot better than anybody predicted, me included. I am I am happy to be proven completely and utterly wrong about what the scoreline would be. But on the on the other hand, also a combination of that with the United States looking like like just bunk. It reminded me honestly a lot of the US Belgium game, uh, from the men's World Cup this summer, in that, you know, Belgium the stars that they have uh, in the EPL, whether that's Lukaku or some of their other stars, they were expected just to blow out the U.S. And if you look at the statistics, the just volume of shots and shots on goal that they have was immense. But they ended up getting a narrow extra time victory against the U.S. So it was a huge plus for the U.S. But at the same time, if you really look at how they were dominated, like you know, Tim Howard really saved their bacon. And I would say that the same is true for Kamika Forbes. She had an outstanding game and really made it so against a lesser goalkeeper, I would say the U.S. probably would have maybe had a couple more on the board. I think that definitely the U.S. was disappointed. I mean, they had 29 shots and scored one goal. Mm-hmm. That's a 3% shot conversion rate, which is sh- appallingly low. Hasn't so, Jill Ellis said she wants like a 
30-something percent shot conversion rate. Yeah, Julia Foudy mentioned during the last um, Mexico Friendly that the team averages about 20, Mm. uh, which actually seems a bit high uh, based off their um, recent performances. But um, So she said that they average about 20, but they're aiming for 30. So to see that be such a priority for the team and then to see them fail to reach it by such a large magnitude, I mean they had to have been extremely disappointed in that performance. I think everybody expected this tournament, uh, one would be United States, two would be Mexico, but Mexico is struggling. Yeah, they they lost to Costa Rica uh, 1-0. That, that's not necessarily unsurprising, though, because Costa Rica is an up-and-coming young program, I think. They're definitely up-and-coming, and they always perform relatively well, but given the resources and the profile of the players that they have, which I would say they really only have one high-profile player, which mm-hmm. is Shirley Cruz, um, I would still find it surprising. If you look at who's on the Me- uh, Mexican women's national team, um, you have Alina Garcia-Mendez, who's played um, in the Bundesliga and was allocated in the NWSL. You have Veronica Perez, who did a pretty had a pretty solid season um, for the Spirit. Bianca Sierra, who of course played for uh, the Breakers. Uh, You have Teresa Noyola. You have Monica Ocampo, who, you know, they all had decent, I would say, runs in the NWSL. They they have a a relatively good profile, um, but then you still have a lot of player churn or a lot of player turnover, um, where a lot of these players on their roster uh, weren't around in 2010 for the last time they tried to qualify for the World Cup. In fact, they weren't on the World Cup roster either. They actually have the uh, second youngest roster um, in the tournament. The only one that's younger is Guatemala. That's around 22 years, and then Mexico is around 23. Yeah. And so, yeah, you would expect more because of their player profile, but at the same time, their player turnover rate um, is a bit concerning. And um, Well, with that average age, isn't the average age of the U.S. women's national team like 27, 28? 28. 28. Just with the way that Jalels has put a focus on allowing players to quote-unquote gel with each other, there was just no way that she was going to bring in anybody from the fringe. Yeah. If you're not going to experiment now against, I, I don't know, I don't know, Jill, What what is what is the point? What is the point of trying to develop a national, because I think it's abundantly evident that her only charge is to win the next World Cup, just like when Pia came in um, to the the hot mess that the team was in after... Um, yeah, her job was to heal the team. Yeah, and I think Jill Edwards doesn't necessarily need to do any healing. Jill Ellis. What did I just say? Jill Edwards. <laughs> I'm still thinking about Becky. She's always on my mind. Um, oh. Sorry, Jill Ellis. She's not. She doesn't have necessarily a task that Pia did, which I think was even harder, which is healing and then winning or doing well. Uh, but to realistically have your task be, I'm going to win the World Cup. And, you know, immediately as she was hired, when she was doing these interviews, she said, my job, I am a failure if I don't win the next World Cup. And so I think that um, ends up in some, you know, short-sightedness, right? I mentioned on Twitter a little earlier that I don't I don't think people are really asking hard enough questions of not just Jill Ellis, but of the United States Soccer Federation, and we're all caught up in the USSF PR machine where they want a certain narrative established, and it excludes um, journalists being able to ask certain questions. I mean, I would want to ask Jill Ellis, 
who are her top five U20s right now who are primed to start transitioning to the national team, if if even five exist. And I would want to ask her, like, does she think based on their last performance, which was not all that hot, right, if they're playing within a system that is beneficial to them on the top senior international level? Because I we, we talk a lot about, like, youth pipeline and a unified system, Right? So players come up knowing what to expect and they're ready to transition to the, the top level. But I don't see it in practice. I, I don't see any plan beyond the current cycle. Maybe even not to 2016. After 2015, I, all I see is short-term planning to get us a, a title, World Cup. Which, on the one hand, yes, that brings prestige. It'll help enhance the program. It might bring some short-term dollars um, and increase awareness of women's soccer in the United States. But I also want to see long-term planning beyond the 2015 cycle. Because we have to have a plan for after Abby and Hope and Christy Rampone retire. I think that both the Federation and the media are pretty content with just planning for the next World Cup. Because I don't think that Coach Ellis would be in the media being so direct about her only planning and her, her major goals her only goal really or metric of success is winning the next world cup i don't think she would be so direct about saying that if u.s soccer wasn't okay with it and then from the media perspective uh i think it's pretty evident that generally there is nowhere near the amount of scrutiny on the women's team that are that is on the men's team Mm -hmm. uh whereas jill ellis i feel like doesn't get nearly i would say the both the quality and probing nature of the questions that you just asked but also the quantity of them right um just because there are fewer media outlets covering the national team and there are a lot of smaller outlets covering the national team and so the some of the harder questions that you ask you i think it's pretty common in journalism that the tougher questions you ask if you have the access to ask them you're generally a larger outlet you know Jurgen's always on the hot seat He's always asking, getting asked pretty tough questions, right? Um, if you just look at the articles that are written about the women's national team and you look at the post-game quotes and questions that were asked, it's it's very different from what Jurgen is facing. And, you know, it, it, that's just objectively speaking. If you look about what's being written on the men's team and contrast it with the women's team, they are nothing like each other. That's just a fact. Well, yeah, if you – I could take the last – six or seven ten post-game interviews and cut and paste them into a whole new interview and you wouldn't even know that it was cut and pasted you can you can kind of predict what's going to be said in an interview like (laughs) we we were in camp they looked good in practice we maybe need some more time to gel blah 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 just there there are certain phrases and buzzwords that you can expect any interview to hit and I'm really tired of it, especially leading into the 2015 World Cup. I want people to be asking much harder questions of Jill Ellis and U.S. Soccer Federation and the players themselves so we can get a deeper look into how they're constructing what will hopefully be a team that can go on to win the World Cup. Because I think it's it's not unfair to say, at the very least, this team is expected to make it to the finals. Not quarters, not semis, but the finals to be contending for the cup itself. Anything else is failure. Yeah, I think that's absolutely the expectation. And, no, and it's not just to make it to the finals; it's to win it's to the win. World Cup. Yeah. Um, in North America. In North America, at, which yeah. I think absolutely matters. The idea that it's so close, it's going to be in time zones that's going to allow for maximum TV. 
uh, viewership in the U.S. I think that the amount of pressure and importance associated with this World Cup because it's in Canada is much higher than if it were held in South Africa or Korea or, you know, any number of countries where it would be tough to watch and the time zones would be a little bit off and uh, there would be a lot fewer U.S. uh, supporters who would be able to attend. Yeah, the World Cup is next door in 2015. Canada is just the U.S.'s hat. So, I mean, it's it's just like America North, right? I'm sure Canada would rebut that the United States is just Canada's pants. Jean pants, though, right? Jeans. Are, are you are you saying that the United States is Canada's jeggings? Yeah, absolutely. Is Mexico Ugg boots? The Ugg boots. Yeah, there there's very high expectations for the United States, and I think to match high expectations, we can't just hop from player profile to player profile, where it's like. X player has faced this adversity, they're going to overcome it, and we're going to win a World Cup. So I, I would say the the focus on the off-the-field perspective and, you know, talking about, you know, people's backgrounds, I, I get that and I encourage it because I think that the, the way that people hold sustained interests who aren't kind of like soccer nerds, right, or because there are these super compelling narratives, <clears throat> like Robin Roberts, Roberts' interview with Sidney LaRue was amazing the the way that that's falling together is such a juicy narrative it 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 has i think it has the potential to honestly reach mia ham levels of craziness because it's so compelling and if honestly if promoted in the right way can be that far-reaching and i think to increase interest uh i think that narratives are important um but that can't be all you do right right i on on the one hand i acknowledge especially from a marketing perspective i've talked about this before People get emotionally invested in sports because of the narrative. There's not many people, I think, who fall in love with the game purely for the technical aspects. They fall in love because there's a story they can follow. There's like, you know, you're rooting for the hometown team or the underdog or a particular player who's your favorite for whatever reason. You become emotionally invested because there's pathos. There's something that appeals to you inside, your emotions, your feelings. And that's what happens in sports. And it's part of what we need in, in order to drive the expansion of women's soccer, not just globally, but especially in the United States. But at the same time, that can't just that can't be it. You have to have you you, you have to have emotions driven by not not just the surface feelings, but people who understand the underlying structure of what's going on. I think that that fits in well with the the rise of data and um, objective analysis of data in women's soccer because in the past, uh, the amount of information from companies like Opta uh, and some of their competitors hasn't been available for the women's game whereas in the men's game you can be much much more objective about hey this is this is the heat map of where players were moving these are the passing lanes that were created this is this is how you know objectively this is what happened and you can't really argue with that right whereas in the women's game because that's never existed uh most kind of complex observations about how things happened on the field were just one journalist or one writers or you know even a fan's perspective of like this is what I saw happen I felt that we were you know really congested up top like an observation that I made on the first game versus Trinidad and Tobago I was like they said it was a 4-3-3 I would argue it's a 4-2-4 and like that's what I think but you know it's very easy to disagree with a writer whether you generally disagree or you just don't like them and you want to disagree with them and you know I've certainly read you know pieces uh, on games and be like oh I really disagree with how he 
how he or she perceived what happened and that's really easy to refute right because you're disagreeing with someone's opinion and their perception of a game but when you have these cold hard facts right in front of you right that are provided by companies like opta um the u.s made um you know x number of seven or more continuous passes or heat map to see where players actually were so instead of just guessing that um someone like carly lloyd is playing forward a little bit more or guessing that um you know one of your wide players is is trending too far toward the center and causing some congestion in midfield instead of just feeling like that or thinking that you can prove it and so um there have already been a couple of diagrams provided uh, by someone at Opta, and we'll link to him in the um, below the the podcast link. And he he did a, a, a wonderful job um, on both of the U.S. games so far, and it really showed you not only where players were positioned for a majority of the match, but where those passing lanes were, where the majority of play took place. Um, we saw in the Guatemala game that uh, everything was heavily weighted to the left side, and so you know making concrete uh, a objective data-driven observations and diagrams like that I think will facilitate a really honest and straightforward discussion to better help understand like how the team is actually playing and doing and I think that'll really improve not only the quality of articles that are written from journalists covering the team but also the fans too and that's all part of growing up and I think we're starting to come to this uh changing point where we sort of shift over from the whole girls of summer ponytail narrative into here's a sports league it happens to feature a bunch of women and we're going to analyze it like any other sports league with data and numbers and the idea of it being accessible inspirational etc toward like youth soccer players is still there and the idea of adding another dimension that's kind of more adult focused which is data driven which is talking about uh, tactics which is talking about um, the technic- um, the technical skill of players is definitely more adult focused but you can add that dimension without alienating any of your fan bases and I think the realization that you can have both um, needs to be a little bit more widely embraced and I would say that's true for the NWSL that's true for US soccer and I think the the point at which they choose to start adding dimensions versus viewing it as an either or situation is how they're actually going to achieve that sustainability right i think that it's frustrating in that every league when it's this new is hard and it's there are huge challenges that you're still trying to overcome you're still trying trying to build an identity and any league that you look at whether that's the NBA 50 years ago, whether that's the NFL, whether that's MLS, it is hard at the beginning. Yeah, well, look um, how long it took MLS or NHL to become solvent. Yeah. Because, so we're heading into our third year, and people are like, I, you know, after it's three, scary. three years. I'm scared. Right? It's like, three years, I should, we should be seeing some progress, we need to be start, start seeing some return, but realistically we might need to wait five seven ten years to start seeing the kind of return that the kind of healthy return that makes you not worry between seasons i i in in women's soccer in america we're still not used to that kind of timetable because wusa got three years wps got three years so i think we're all kind of on a a a more short-term mindset if we're willing to be more patient and think more long term because 
it's not just the money it's also like waiting for uh social tides to shift kind of that started with 2011 where people started to pick their heads up and be like oh women's soccer is a thing because yeah. it was on all the papers finally we we're starting getting more yeah. broader coverage in bigger in bigger media circles so I, I i have to admit i myself am also impatient i'm like three years that's in three years you could go to law school and graduate with a degree that's not long enough to change your entire life but at the same time there's so much going on here in such a broad spectrum that I think we need to be willing to be more patient. I'm, I, I myself, at least, I'm going to try to be more patient. Uh, one thing that I would recommend for really anyone who cares about women's soccer is to really look at, I think, the two best analogous examples of league development for the NWSL, which I would argue are the WNBA. Uh, and MLS, right? So WNBA is analogous because it's a women's sports league. And I think that their development and kind of like long-term evolution, I think there's a lot to be learned there. Um, the WNBA has been around for a lot longer than NWSL. And so it's easy to look at their league and be like, oh, we should be doing th- these things. We should be where they are. It's like, well, no, they took about 17 or 18 years to get there. And they needed a lot of help from the NBA uh, and like a very favorable commissioner in David Stern who was willing to commit long-term to their success and not just bow out after one or two one or two years being like, well, I'm not seeing an immediate return on my investment, so I'm going to cut my losses. Exactly. And then I think the other really good example is MLS because it's soccer specific, right? Soccer in America. And if you look at how MLS developed, you know, without, you know, two to three really committed investors that basically owned almost the entire league for like the first six or seven years of its existence, like the league probably would have folded. All right, let's talk some NWSL trade action. The big trade this past week has been Princess herself, Carlos D. Chavino Lloyd. She's going she's going to Houston. She's leaving Western New York and probably her single white female friend Sam Kerr and going going to Houston. And in exchange, Western New York is getting Becky Edwards and Whitney Engen, which is quite the value for them, I think. Yeah, I mean I, I think that Oh, didn't they also get draft pick? Yeah, a third round pick in 2016. So it's the first 2016 uh, pick to be traded, which just personally for me, the idea of trading a pick for the for the fourth year of a women's pro soccer league is incredibly exciting. But that's just me being really uh, um, appreciative of the Four idea. whole years. That's a presidential term, man. Yeah, so I'm pretty excited about that. So Western New York is going to lose actually a pretty big chess piece, though, because... This past season, I know I ragged on Carly Lloyd a bit on Twitter about being ineffectual, but especially since 2012, she kind of picked up her game and was like, you know what, fuck your negativity. I'm going to be really useful. And she had a pretty good club season, I think, this past season as an attacking midfielder for Western New York Flash. So picking up Becky Edwards and Whitney Engen, so that really stiffens up Western New York's spine down the middle. Yeah, I mean, I think that Carly Lloyd had a very impressive season last year. I think that, you know, her, she is a player that leaves a mark on a club in a very positive way. So I definitely think I understand why the Dash wanted her. Um, I I would say that given the amount of games she's going to miss for the World Cup, 
and the fact that they only got one player in return. Um, I think this does work out a little bit better for the Flash um, because they have, you know, one of the promising center backs of the national team who's also going to miss some time. But then, um, unfortunate in my perspective, but Becky Edwards will be with the Western New York Flash the whole year. I think that, you know, maybe she could be valuable in Canada, but, you know, Jill Ellis's loss is um, Aaron Lyons' gain, and she's going to be, you know, she, I think she could be a leader for that team like she has been in the past. So the fact that they're both familiar with the program, I think is really important as well. And I think that makes a difference. And then with the new um, position for Charlie Nemo uh, in the flash organization, I think having the, the third round pick that they're, that they're going to get, I think that's, that's a nice bonus. If Becky Edwards makes the 2015 world cup roster, I'll get, I will get a full back tattoo of Jill Ellis's face. I will find like a furry costume, like a sexual furry costume. All right, and this I will... just got weird. <laughs> and I will wear it out in public. I I'm willing to bleed to get Becky Edwards on the World Cup roster. So you know, Coach Ellis, um, if you're not cool with your face being on my back, you can suggest something else. But offers on the table, Becky Edwards, defensive midfielder of your dreams. Um, let me know. I mean, yeah. really, really call her, but I'll find out. Anyway, so back to the trade. Um, I, I think it's a win for both teams, honestly, but I do give the slight edge to Western New York. I think that, um, you know, Carly Lloyd serves, I guess, fills a lot of gaps in, um, in Houston in that not only is she, you know, a great player who's probably going to score quite a few goals, provide a lot of assists, um, to hopefully some new forwards that the Dash are going to sign. Um, but she's also a name, right? Um, I think to, to bring someone with her profile, you know, is good for the Dash. And I really hope that it does impact their attendance. I've always thought Carly Lloyd, it's, when you talk about other players who are kind of in her age group or prestige group, you, you talk about them coming to the end of their career. But I, I actually haven't, when you talk about Carly Lloyd, that's not part of her narrative. I just realized nobody is really talking about Carly Lloyd in the sunset of her career. She's like, she's still in her, her prime, despite being in the same kind of group as Abby Wambach, Christy Rampone, Hope Solo. And if anything, she's maturing. Like, I think her decision making and her ability to, you know, really lead a team, like she showed that she could do in Western New York, I think that's just getting better with time. Uh, of all the players of her, like, generation, right? Um, I could see her going at least to Rio and possibly beyond Rio. I think she's going to play as long as she wants to play. And I think she's taken such good care of her body that she's going to be the one that gets to decide kind of when she's done. Yeah, even just two and a half, three years ago, I would have advocated Carly Lloyd coming off the bench. But now she is a solid starting 11 in my mind. Like, why would you not start Carly Lloyd? Oh, absolutely. Even this past season, there have been several games for Western New York Flash where she was just like, fuck all this shit. We need to step it up, so I am going to take this game in the direction that it needs to go. I myself, personally, Carly Lloyd, yeah. am, I, am, I am going to make shit happen. The other thing is, I think there are a lot of jokes made about Carly Lloyd working hard, but honestly, putting those jokes aside... It it Never. is ast <laughs> it is astonishing how her intense work ethic raises the level of players around her. Like if you just listen to Sam Kerr, 
um, give interviews about. Like she's mentioned Carly quite a few times. And to see a young player like that feel the pressure and need to elevate her game, her, um, I guess, attentiveness in training, her focus because of how intense Carly is, I think that that's someone you want on your team, not only for what they do in the game, but how they're impacting other players. Because I think if you look at these past kind of two games for the U.S., it's just nothing's really happening. And I I realize that Carly was in both those games. But at the same time, I feel like she sets a tone that if other players were to match kind of the tone that she's at, I feel like you're going to at least achieve some level of success. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Although, speaking of Sam Kerr, like, is she going to go to Houston Dash with her BFF Carly? <laughs> I mean, I I hope we get some Australians in the league, right? Because yeah. those international spots are pretty, you know, valuable now. So I think it'll be interesting to see if NWSL player or teams fill their international slot, slots with kind of like the best of uh, teams that didn't make it to the World Cup, right? So like if Scotland... You know, knock on wood, I want Kim Little to be in the World Cup, but if they don't, like, do you take the other maybe top two players from Scotland or, you know, these other countries that aren't going to, you know, be missing that time, do you try to just skim off the, the, the top of those programs? Honestly, I still don't understand why we haven't gotten our shit together and made Australia essentially our sister league. Like, we send our players there in our winter and they send their players here and there's their no winter. there's very little financial incentive for them to create a partnership where they would give us any money maybe not even like maybe they don't have to fully fund their players through allocation but like the nwsl acknowledging this partnership by maybe exempting australians from the international limit yeah i, th- I think that's a great idea and same goes for the w league they have an international player limit as well um removing the international cap for them and maybe even, I don't know, exempting them from a certain level of salary cap. I'm not sure how f- financially viable that is right now when we're still working with like $200,000 per per team. But it's something to think about in the future. Yeah, I think that's just one of the many ways in which NWSL can continue to grow and evolve. NWSL has got to const- be, constantly be on the lookout. They have to constantly be hustling. When you're just starting out and you have limited resources, you have got to be on the hustle all the time. So I don't understand why NWSL is not really capitalizing on World Cup push. Even during the season, I don't think teams maximize their media output the way they could have, especially considering how cheap and easy it is to crank out media these days. I mean, it's as easy as turning your iPhone sideways and uploading it to YouTube. I, I can understand wanting a certain level of polish, but if the NWSL doesn't have fun, the money for polish, which arguably the teams besides Portland, Houston, and maybe Seattle don't have that kind of money, you can make up for quality with quantity. Uh, why aren't there you know, a bunch of behind-the-scenes videos from all the teams of practice or player interviews or talking to owners about future plans for the teams? This is not hard. It's really not hard to crank out. Yeah, I mean, I I fully understand and appreciate and am acutely aware of the resource constraints of NWSL teams. I really am. Um, but the easy availability and accessibility of social media 
from both the video, photo, and just content perspective does not require a large investment. And so to see some teams, you know, kind of largely ignoring that avenue, um, especially when, you know, for example, things like Twitter are just so integral to awareness. And I would say just in the soccer sort of like quote unquote fandom, um, whether that's um, MLS or NWSL, it's, it's honestly pretty disappointing. I, I hate to make it a generational thing, but just speaking as, as someone, you know, who is in their mid-20s, um, it isn't that hard. And from my perspective, it seems like almost kind of second nature. And I think a lot of the NWSL owners, like, sorry to play the age card, but their relationship with social media is a lot different. So I think it's understandable, but I'm also going to be critical of the idea of some of them not seeing the value of social media. And I think that it's definitely not every team that's choosing kind of not to engage in that way i think that a lot of them are continuing to evolve which i think is great i think some already fully embrace it and it's just about you know i think it is important for outside pressure to be continuing to push them to kind of like move in that direction yeah the return on investment in terms of fan engagement and loyalty and even just the value of word of mouth is I think would be pretty substantial considering the effort that would go into there's no reason why every team shouldn't have a bunch of like player profiles and behind the scenes and some short two to three minute little interviews up on their YouTube pages it's literally free I mean the time cost for whatever intern has to upload this stuff to YouTube maybe whatever it's it's literally pretty much free to be drumming up the kind of publicity you get from just flooding the internet with with media content and i think this kind of goes back to the narrative discussion we had which is yeah it's great for people to come to your games but in kind of the media environment and culture that we live in now like that's not enough like the fact that as a writer about nwsl like i feel out of touch with some teams because of how little they've put out in the off season and how little kind of buzz has been around the league and the teams that's just disappointing it's not like i'm not trying to be critical for the sake of being critical but it's just too bad and the fact that there's so much secrecy in the nwsl and people um kind of like keep things um to a minimum if that makes sense um and there there aren't kind of i i think that there's there isn't enough uh, exposure maximization for news events that happen in the league and it's really too bad that there's sort of this like keep it locked down perspective versus like hey let's let it let's let it leak maybe a couple of hours or 24 hours before it happens because then people are talking about it for even longer than what you would intended i think a good example of that is um, i think the equalizer got the full allocation list about 12 or maybe more hours before the official allocation list. Or they maybe it was it the ex- dropped it the night before. Was it the expansion draft actually? I think it was. Maybe it was expansion draft. I, I thought it was great that it came out early. I think people talked about it for longer. I think it created buzz. But you know, so I I think sometimes the perception of having something like that break early is negative, and I don't think that's necessarily the case. The NWSL should be in people's minds because there's such a long off season, six months. Like, that's, that is so hard to deal with. I think all of what you're talking about is part of the marketing problem of NWSL. Because we talk about narratives and emotions and fan loyalty. This is, this is all about brand. And brand is not 
necessarily a numbers game. Brand is about feeling. When you ask people about the value of a brand, that value is generated from how customers feel. We're going to play a word association game. I hate to cut you off, but this is going to happen. So I'm going to say each of the nine clubs in the league. Yeah. And, and you're going to tell me the first word that comes to your mind. If I can't come up with a word within the first five seconds, I'm gonna that punch is a her brand in the face. That is a brand, that's a brand failure. I'm also going to punch her in the face. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm not punching. Oh, my God. Please edit that. <laughs> All right, that's I, gonna stay in. No, no, no. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you uh, the name of a team, and then you're gonna tell me the first word you associate with it. Okay. If you can't come up with a word to describe the product or the team or whatever within the first five seconds, that is branding failure because it means you're having trouble associating emotions and feelings and things very strongly with a team. And brands like if I tell you a brand like Apple. Right away, you should be able to tell me, like, aesthetic, aesthetic, hip, young. That's what good branding is about. I might have a lot of feelings about branding, but... It's yeah, important. Yeah, it is important because... And you don't have to spend millions of dollars to establish a brand. And I think that, you know, I would do the... Not to create homework for you, but do this yourself and talk talk with other people who like the league and see what they think. Yeah. Okay, so so list the teams for me. Do you want to we'll go east to west or west to east? Go west to east. Seattle Rain. Polish, victory, rebuilding. Portland Thorns. Merit, struggling, oof. I'm going to tell Gab how negative you were about her club, so. Gab, Gab knows, like, look, Portland is my second team, so I feel fine talking about, I mean, this was a rough second season for Portland coming off a championship. And even the first season, they, they had to work hard for that championship. So, next one. Houston Dash. New... Ella and Aaron growing. FC Kansas City. Champions. Great system. Chicago Red Stars. Blue collar, tough, gritty, maybe unnecessarily gritty sometimes. Uh, Washington Spirit. <sighs> that was an audible sigh, in case that doesn't come across in the Yeah, podcast. I think it, it was a sigh that was audible, so you don't have to say it was an audible sigh, Gergie. Like... I don't know what the mic is picking up. I was trying to be helpful. Spirit dog. All right. So uh, wait, uh, no. the the uh, The word that comes to mind with spirit is um, rebound. Okay. I have a feeling, but I can't quite put it into words. It's not very clear for me. And then I, th if I think about the spirit for a minute, I'm like, oh yeah, they, they rebuilt. Sky blue FC. Void. Boston Breakers. I love you all so very much. I love you more than my own children. I mean, we might have to skip over the breakers as an example. They're an outlier because because I, I couldn't You love. have no perspective whatsoever because you're entirely clouded by your love for the team? Yeah. It, the Boston Breakers, like, if the Boston Breakers were an entity, a singular entity, and that entity, like, ran someone over with a car, I'd be like, you know what? They probably had their reasons. <laughs> at least you're honest about it um the western new york flash enemy <laughs> that's also a personal bias western new york flash when i think about them i kind of think carly lloyd so western new york flash probably gonna have to work on that branding <laughs> uh now that carly's in houston so pro tip there I, I mean i i when i think of western new york flash i really think of grit mm -hmm. uh and just power which right those are two words perfectly associated with carly lloyd so because of her and some of their other players i associate it with the team but i think it's interesting how 
the words I associate with the team, I would also associate with Carly Lloyd. I really like what The Flash did this year. I think they had their Twitter account um, had some banter with fans. I think that they put out some good videos. I think that um, as a reporter, I really appreciated the care that they put into their game notes, sending out them, sending them out ahead of time. So I always felt very informed about their team and any sort of like story or statistic that maybe I wouldn't have sought out on my own, they kind of brought it to my attention. So as someone who writes about the league, I think that you can do yourself some favors by being like, hey, this is really interesting. Like if you find it interesting, like maybe this is something you would want to include in your reporting. If you do, like, I, I personally think that Western New York has the best game notes that get sent out. And I use them in my preparations for matches. And I, it probably informs my articles when I, I report lo, um, on the spirit, because obviously I live in D.C. But how I communicate about teams and how I write about teams, inclu- including the Flash, are informed by that. Well, that ties back into how easy it is right now for teams to be establishing their own stories and building their own brands right now with minimal investment in time and controlling really how fans perceive them as a brand, as a team, as an entity, whatever, with just like a basic level of competence plus. That's how I would phrase Western New York right now. Not even like above and beyond. It's just competence plus. You you already perceive them as being a really nice, helpful resource, right? Yeah. Not above and beyond, but definitely a step over many other teams in the league, yes? Yeah. Yeah. So right now, with just a minimum effort, teams can control their perception because we're at the beginning and but i think it's about prioritization right just because you're describing western new york as competence plus it it's not inherently that other teams are incompetent right it's just that they didn't make it a focus or priority to me the competence plus is more a reflection of where the base is right now if we can just move that up a couple notches it elevates the whole league yeah i would agree so right now what you have is uh, cheap or free social media in the form of Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, maybe Tumblr, uh, all that. So why wouldn't you maximize all of those? I don't know, because you're born in 1943? <laughs> <laughs> but we're not here just to offer up uh, critique or say what we hope for the future. We came ready with solutions. Yes, we came correct. We came correct? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. You've never heard the phrase, we came correct? No. Were you also born in 1943? I was born in Oregon. Uh, we came correct. That is not a phrase that anyone recognizes. First of all, let's ignore the sexual undertones of that phrase. Uh, What? What sexual undertones? If anyone's an expert in sexual undertones, it's me. Urban Dictionary, come correct. To come out rightly, to speak or approach someone with respect and not with undeniable ignorance, to do something the right way the first time to avoid being bitched by another. So, Gerky and I brainstormed, and here are, we are going to pitch some web series ideas for each of the teams to produce if they're not already doing a web series like the Aaron and Ella show. I was going to say, shout out to Chicago for honestly being a trailblazer yeah. in this regard and starting with the the Ella and Carm show. Ella and Carm, yeah. It's hard to believe that not only are there different players involved in that show now, but it, they're also at a new team. Yeah. So. And now Chicago has KK, KK Cam. Cam. I mean, the original, the best. Right. You guys should go back and look at the stuff she filmed for the Philly Independence. Gold. Yeah. Straight up Solid gold. gold. 
So we, we are not going to be pitching shows for these teams because they've already shown that they have a base level of proficiency. I mean, when you, when you get it right, why, why mess with perfection? So right. Houston Dash, Chicago Red Stars, you're doing some things right. Um, keep on keeping on. Yeah. So we're going to go west to east again. And even though Seattle has cranked out some really good stuff courtesy of Levy Films. We're going to go less serious, though. Those are a little intense. To be fair, he treats the men's team the exact same way. Yeah. So equality, he's just... You know, asking some non-soccer stuff. Yeah. I actually really like the Levy film series for Seattle Rain. It's it's a, like, uh, it once again, it goes back to branding. You feel a more intimate connection with the players. Uh, yeah, I mean, just, you know, speaking personally for the players that I was far less familiar with, um, like Jess Fishlock or, you know, um, Keelan Winters, where maybe I haven't seen as much stuff about them as I have about, you know, maybe Megan Rapinoe or Sydney LaRue, or I think Naho uh, was a, another really good example um, getting to see those in-depth videos and really hear them talk about themselves um, definitely made me kind of take more note of them. And um, those are the ones that I find most interesting. Like the idea of forming a connection to a team and not just the star of the team is kind of what helps you transcend, right? Yeah, it's it's a more sustainable path. Okay, so Seattle Rain, we, we're going to build on what they've already got in place with Donkey of the Day. The web series we'd like to see for Seattle is where Laura Harvey picks her donkey of the week, right? So out of everybody who's been donkey for the past seven days, she picks the one who was the worst donkey. And then or the, the best donkey. Or the, the best donkey. It's really, it's really just the donkeyest. It's, it's really, not best, it's not worst, it's the donkeyest. It's about who Laura Harvey feels like confronting the most. Yeah, because Laura Harvey is going to be the host because I feel like she's underutilized from a, a social media perspective because I actually listened to a great uh, podcast by uh, WF Pod um, who rebranded as uh, Women's Soccer Zone uh, where it was Laura Harvey, Kim Little, and Jess Fishlock basically kind of having a conversation with each other. And it's honestly one of the best things I've ever uh, listened to. And so the idea of Laura Harvey hosting a podcast I think would be terrific because if she's anything like she was in that podcast or anything like she is in an interview she would be a phenomenal host yeah just asking all these personalities on her teams why they make her life so difficult i think it would also be a great platform for her to get some answers to those questions yeah maybe she'd end up with fewer donkeys that way that would be less fun for the rest of us though i know all right so next up i'm gonna handle the portland thorns and <laughs> Rather than have a specific host, uh, we basically like to have a weekly web series focused on just how Portland Portland is uh, in the Portlandia sense. So basically taking kind of scenarios, um, places, situations that are very uniquely Portland. I'm thinking there will probably be a lot of breweries or coffee shops or, um, you know, uh, fixed gear bicycles uh, involved and just really let uh, players showcase uh, their awesome city. I think that that could be an excellent web series. Portland actually almost kind of touched on this. They had a little video where like Mona Shim went out and went to a local um, market and shopped for some stuff, but I feel like they re they didn't really get into the nitty gritty of what it is to be quintessentially Portland. I feel like there's a lot of other layers to just peel back on that. Yeah. I, I mean, love it. What if, you know, Nadine Onger, Alex Morgan, and Allie Long discover Battlestar Galactica and then watch it all in one weekend? Yeah. Maybe I just want to see Monashim and Christine Sinclair at the feminist bookstore. 
Um, so the next team is FC Kansas City. Uh, obviously, I think you need to have Becky Sauerbrunn or Brune. Do you think that she could have predicted that because Allie Krieger misspoke once in like a 2010 video leading up to the 2011 World Cup, that she would be forever branded as Brune? I think if you asked her about it, she would make that face that she did on the cheese video where she's like, <laughs> oh, I've made a... I've made a huge mistake. I think she'd kind of like note it once um, and then she'd be like, you know what? It's pretty great. Uh, like that other cheese that she actually liked and just kind of go with it. Okay, yeah. So you'd want Becky Sauerbrunn as kind of your straight man. Um, she should have kind of an Oprah style show where she interviews her teammates and maybe questions some of their life decisions. You know, not every Oprah episode is about giveaways. Sometimes she asks people really hard questions about their lives and their life choices. I, I think it's oddly appropriate to have someone who has so few giveaways on the field um, <laughs> host a show that has so many giveaways off the field. Oh, uh, yeah, that's how she finds a balance in her life. I mean, realistically, she she seems like one of kind of like the smartest, wisest kind of people that maybe has ever existed. So I think just to give her a platform like that uh, would be pretty awesome. If if Becky Sauerbrunn makes even close to the level of good decisions off the pitch as she makes on the pitch, she would be the best talk show host that's ever existed, dare I say, possibly better than Oprah. Yeah, people would go on her show and be like... Their lives would be changed, let's yeah. be real. My cousin is my baby's father, but... I'm also interested in eating drywall. I thought we were going to have the other members of FC Casey come on the show. Yeah. I don't think anyone on the team <laughs> has that specific issue. I'm just saying, I'm trying to illustrate to you like the severity of problems that Becky Sauerbrunn could fix. She could definitely fix those problems, but I feel like she could also fix um, maybe like Erica Timrak and her fear of long shorts. You know what? Actually, that discussion might end up with Becky Sauerbrunn reaffirming Erica Timrak, Erica Timrak's rights to wear whatever she wants. We don't know what's going to happen at the end. That's why you tune in. Yeah. Um, I think it would just be really spiritually satisfying. Uh, it would be great. Uh, so moving on to the Washington spirit, uh, Crystal Dunn is known for not only her excellent uh, musical taste, but also some, some wicked dance moves. And so I think that she would be the ideal candidate for uh, a Eurovision type competition, except it would just be lip syncing because not everybody is a good singer and I like to be accommodating of that. So basically the idea would be, you know, you have two players in the team come head to head on a weekly basis for each episode. Um, and then fans would vote for who they preferred um, and their lip sync performance. Would Crystal Dunn give like Simon Cowell style commentary or would she be in a chair and she has to hit a button to turn around or what? I I, I do love the voice um, kind of, I, she would not be mean. She is Crystal Dunn. Okay. She would not be Simon. I would say she'd probably be a mix of maybe like Paula Abdul in the positiveness, but Christina Aguilera uh, in the thoughtfulness of okay. her of her feedback. Like the emotional plus technical com components yeah. of feedback? She's okay. the full package, which is why I say, said that she wow. should be the judge. Wow. Okay. I mean, she's a, she's a full package at, uh, as, at left back or attacking mid, and she's just as good as uh, um, my singing competition judge. So next would be, I guess, Sky Blue. And this would be kind of a reality-style competition 
where Christy Rampone sugars up her children, Reese and Riley, and then leaves them with uh, a pair of Sky Blue players. The players would compete in pairs, right, to babysit Reese and Riley. So at the end, Christy Rampone would give her critique on who babysat them the best, and they'd be eliminated week by week. And in the end, the best babysitters would win. Do you have any uh, feelings on who you think would excel from the team? Oh, gosh. I almost want to say Kelly O'Hara, but I I almost feel like Christy Rampone would come back to find, like, Kelly O'Hara covered in face paint and, like, locked in a dog cage. (laughs) That got dark super quick. (laughs) While Reese and Riley are jumping on a trampoline. I mean, which is dangerous, which is why she pointed it out. Yeah, they're they're fine. not one with a net, like just straight up trampoline. Yeah, they're fine, but may, I, maybe Sophie Schmidt would do okay. <laughs> what? Maybe she would be the one. Maybe she and Kelly would be. <laughs> maybe they'd be locked into the dog cage together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Trying to like entice the kids to bring them the key to unlock the cage. I think Brittany Cameron would really have an advantage with her oh, goalkeeping yeah. skills because one, she's calm under pressure, uh, and then two, she's good with her hands. So if they try to like run in different directions, she's you know grab Grabs, each by the grab scruff one of on the arm and yeah, yeah, some discipline. She'd yell at them like her back line. Yeah, right in right into their bets at bedtime. You yeah, know, she's got under control. She'd spray down that foam and be like, "You can't go past this line." So Western New York, I think a real world Rochester slash Buffalo would just be key. Can't you just imagine McCall Zerboni sitting down and in a confessional booth? You think you know, but you have no idea. Just the isolation of of where those cities are must be incredibly difficult to deal with. Because if you look at every other team, they're near huge cities. Like, there's no other team that is isolated in the same way that Western New York is. Yeah. But don't get me wrong. Like, Buffalo is a largish city, but not when you compare it to Boston. Not when you compare it to New York City, which Chicago, is right near. Chicago, yeah, Seattle, Port. Yeah. It's just not the same. So for the experiences of those players, like, it has to be so different playing for Western New York versus playing for literally any other team. Well, Abby straight up said that she lives in Buffalo because she can't be in Rochester because too many people recognize her. She she would never be able to have a, a normal life bowl, in right? Rochester. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to, ha- to be in a place where the majority of people are going to recognize you, like e- even national team stars, like I, I guarantee you Kristen Press doesn't get stopped everywhere she goes in Chicago. I guarantee you Allie Ali Krieger doesn't get stopped everywhere she goes in D.C. So seeing Abby in, in such a small environment where she's from, like that, I think that would be pretty good, pretty yeah. good television. Do you think Sam Kerr would purposely try to get evicted so she can go to Houston and be with her BFF Carly? Yeah. There we go. First person evicted, Sam, because she misses BFF Carly, wants she to go to Carly so the Dash. Much. And hey, uh, the Dash desperately need a forward. Weird. I think that Sam Kerr is like kind of a good forward. Yeah. So um, it's almost like that already worked out. You're welcome for connecting those dots, Brian Shang and Randy Waldrum. <laughs> I'm sure I'll take a 3% commission on that. 3%? Wow. Uh, on that uh, transaction. So just, I'm sure Randy and Brian are listening to this podcast right now. I have no doubt that they are. Like, you know who else is listening? Tom Stramani, Pia, probably Sylvia Knight. I'll bet Norio Sasaki listens. Likely. Yeah. Maybe Set Bladder every once in a while. 
Yeah, he DM'd me about it. He said good episode um, last time I was on. So. Seth Blatter does his own DMs? Yeah. That's amazing. He, he does the thing that Barack Obama does where he has the dash um, SB, so I know that it's him. Oh, and so the last team we would do is Boston Breakers. There are a lot of things that I want from the Boston Breakers media-wise. The number one thing I wanted last season was just a long-running video of Maddie Evans eating two Chipotle burritos at, in one sitting. No no music, no editing, just her sitting there eating the burritos from start to finish. But because we can't get that, um, I would want uh, a Boston Breakers drunk history, which is uh, apropos because Boston is the seat of American history. Um, I hear Philadelphia residents screaming in the background, but I, I ignore your screams. What you would have is Cat Whitehill and Heather O'Reilly basically discussing kind of the older history of the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team, and then the younger players on the team have to act it out as narrated, as drunkenly narrated. So those are our ideas. <clears throat> those, those are just so, the beginning. Some, just... some of them are more realistic to act on than yeah, others. but it's just the beginning. There are no bad ideas in brainstorming. Yeah, I mean, those are just an example of the idea of, it's one, it's fun to think about, and two, it, it, it is productive to think about how they can you know increase their social media footprint in the next year and so I'm really excited and I think optimistic to see what the teams are going to do um, I think some have a really good base to build on and hopefully some realize in the offseason that they need to build that base so I think you know it's never too late to start and just because you haven't done it in the past doesn't mean it's not something you yeah. can do in the next year the point being it doesn't have to be like you don't have to fucking make Game of Thrones every week yeah. you, you just have to make something something yeah. anything at all to show fans that you're still there you're awake and you're listening and you want them to listen to you in return if you have nothing out there people are going to fill that void with whatever they want or nothing at all you're going to be a non-entity so it's better to put out something and try to create your own narrative and identity and at least give people something to hold on to rather than just be non-existent so thank you to our guest commenter, Sarah Gerke. I know it's been a while since our last podcast. Gab is busy doing that thing where she has to earn a living so she can exchange money for goods and services. I don't know what that's all about. How dare her. Happy to be on. It's always nice to chat with you. Is it, though? <laughs> is it? It is when you're making me gumbo. That's right. Um, signing off here in D.C., I'm looking forward to tomorrow's qualifier usa against haiti um as of record time it is the day before that qualifying game so hopefully that'll turn out well hopefully no one will get injured i mean me included there's falling cement uh, at the press box at rfk no one so cares about that's true <laughs> no one cares about you know the the troubles you face as a roving reporter in rfk that's accurate <laughs> <laughs> but genuinely speaking hoping that the U.S., you know, continues the tournament with minimal injuries because I almost had a heart attack when Alex Morgan went down. Yeah, if you have any opinions on today's podcast, please direct them to at Sarah underscore Gerke. I welcome all feedback, and I love talking with people. So really do that, um, whether that's just about kind of your thoughts about the team or maybe something that I've written. Um, I really appreciate feedback. Yeah, we'll include a link to Sarah, Sarah's profile. Yeah, signing off in our nation's capital, Sarah Gerke. And three.